0: copy of scripture this morning we are in acts chapter 20 acts chapter 20 we're continuing our series through the book of acts acts is the fifth book of the new testament so it's the latter part of your bible matthew mark luke john acts acts chapter 20 we're going to be reading this morning verses 17 through twenty-one of Acts chapter twenty. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version this morning. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among the whole among you the whole time. From the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, I want to talk to you about keys to godly leadership. We're not going to look at an exhaustive list of some keys to godly leadership, but we will pull out of these verses this morning, some keys to godly leadership. There is a saying that goes, if you want to kill the serpent... You cut off its head. And the meaning behind that saying is if you take out the leader, then the followers will have no one to follow. And you will squash the competition or um, the enemy in battle or anything else that you might be referencing. It is the same way with Satan. And that's how he works even today. How often do we see on the news and other places when a prominent pastor falls. If Satan can discredit that leader by causing marriage problems, financial problems, trapping them in sin, or even by getting others to slander them, then Satan feels like he can discredit the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine if the people of Paul's day Uh, had applied kind of some of the tests that we apply today to being a pastor or to being a missionary candidate. Imagine if the Apostle Paul had wrote out his application. Well, I did some scouring on the internet and I found a letter. It's not really a letter from a mission board to the Apostle Paul, but it's a pretend letter. And it goes like this. Dear Paul, we have received your application to serve with our mission. Unfortunately, the board was unanimous in deciding not to accept you as a candidate with our mission. We want to be as honest as possible so that we can address uh, some issues and some serious deficiencies in your character and past service. First, we understand that you have never had sufficient financial support in your missionary labors. Working on the side to support yourself is unacceptable to this board. If a man does not have the faith to trust God for full support, we think that he is not qualified to serve on the mission field. Second, we have heard that you have been brash and even outspoken on your views. Specifically, we heard that you publicly criticized another follower of Jesus Christ and that you contended So strongly with some of the ministers that a special council had to be convened at Jerusalem to prevent a church split. We cannot condone such radical behavior. We are enclosing a copy of Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. (laughs) We encourage you to read it. Also, we understand that you have not graduated from an accredited seminary. We are glad that you learned a lot of practical knowledge during your three years in Arabia, but that does not count. Also in our background check, we discovered that you used to be a violent man to the point of persecuting the church. Even since your conversion, you have been in jail on more than one occasion. You caused so much trouble for the business people of Ephesus that it led to a riot. If it were an isolated incident, that might be one thing. But a pattern of causing enough trouble to lead to your being beaten on several occasions and even being stoned once shows an underlying problem on your part we would advise a counseling program where you could learn some basic relational skills. Our background check further revealed that you have numerous critics and enemies, even in some of the churches that you supposedly founded. Some of these critics in Corinth challenged whether it was you or Apollos who had the most influence there, We also learned the details about your falling out with a fine young minister named John Mark and your refusal to cooperate with that fine servant Barnabas. We have talked with Himenaeus and Alexander who said that you delivered them over to Satan. We believe that such extreme measures are uncalled for. A more tolerant and less judgmental approach should be more in the spirit of our gentle Savior. Apart from these serious flaws, we have heard that you are prone to preach too long. This shows that you are not sensitive to your audience. We heard that one young man actually fell to his death while you droned on and on and on. You need to get in tune with the younger generation that's been raised on TV and video games. 15-minute sermons are the maximum that can be endured. We advise you to use more stories. More video clips, jokes, and less doctrine in your messages. Have you considered using a drama team instead of a sermon every once in a while? You admitted on your application that you cannot remember those whom you baptize. This is just unacceptable. A good record-keeping system would help you to be more organized. Also, your resume shows that you have never ministered in one place longer than three years. This pattern of moving on to new work shows that you lack perseverance. Our staff psychologists also suggest that it may reflect a pattern of running from your problems rather than a commitment to work through your problems. We share all of these things out of love and concern for you. We want you to succeed in whatever the Lord has for you, but we strongly believe that you would not do best in something, uh, or that you would do best in something other than missions. The stresses of the mission field could lead you to a complete nervous breakdown. Perhaps a good Christian counselor would help you begin to work through some of these problems. We wish you God's best, sincerely, the Mission Board. In our text this morning. we have Paul's final time with the believers in the church at Ephesus. Remember from last week, he wanted to be in Jerusalem by the day of Pentecost, which is why he is in Miletus in the first place, because he did not want to stop in Ephesus because it would have delayed him too long. And so he sends word to the elders at the church in Ephesus to have them come and join him While his ship is at port in Miletus, which is over 30 miles south. These elders were most likely pastors of the numerous house churches that would have met throughout Ephesus. An elder was an appointed or elected position. They were also called overseers, which is bishops. And it gives a description to their main task, which was to care for the matters of the church. This is the only example in Acts where we find a sermon addressed to church leaders. And it apparently comes because people were being critical of Paul, which is why we read in verse 18, he says, you yourselves know. He was reminding them of the character traits that he possessed and the way that he lived among the people. He's defending himself, but he is also Revealing keys to godly leadership. Listen, we don't have to look far to see church leaders who have fallen into serious sin. If any church is going to reach their community with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that church must have godly leadership. Perhaps you say, well, I'm not really a church leader. And my response is, it does not matter. These keys are keys to just being a godly leader, period. Whether you're a church leader or not. Whether it's in a church setting or not in a church setting. The keys to being a godly leader that we're going to look at this morning, that I believe Paul reveals to us, are this. A servant attitude, transparency and integrity, godly character and faithful biblical teaching first of all godly leaders possess a servant attitude look with me at verse 19 paul says right at the outset in verse 19 he makes it clear that he is serving the lord serving the lord now that word servant or serving comes from the word doulos which is to In the Greek, which is to serve as a slave. This is common language for Paul. Actually, often Paul refers to himself as a slave or as a bondservant of Jesus Christ. This is how he viewed himself. And to be honest, it is how every single Christian should view themselves. Some of the biggest struggles people have in their Christian life and walk stem from this very issue. We want to walk around acting like we belong to ourselves when in reality we need to recognize that we have been bought with a price and that price is the blood of Jesus Christ we are not our own we don't belong to ourselves in fact we are slaves to Jesus Christ every single person that is a follower of Christ does not belong to themselves And we should do all we can to please and glorify Jesus Christ. Our life is to serve him and to glorify his name. This is true of every Christian. But it's especially true of a leader. Because the implication that the leader serves the Lord first and the church second. The leader is a steward of the church. One day the leader will answer to God for what God entrusted to him. That means that one day I will stand before God. I will stand before the Lord and I will answer for how I pastored First Baptist Church, which God entrusted to me. Now, it's not an excuse to not be accountable to anyone. Sometimes pastors, uh, especially pastors who are overbearing, will say things like this. Well, I don't answer to you I answer to God. And that's just an excuse. Everyone is accountable and needs accountability. I am simply saying that the leader is accountable to God first. And that's not an excuse for sinful behavior. However, all leaders need to realize they will one day answer to God for how they lead. And ultimately, they will not in the end answer to man. In some sense, it should keep leaders from seeking to please men and instead be focused on pleasing God, which is what we read in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, when Paul says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. When leaders seek to please God instead of men, then they're able to confront sin and other things people's lives are able to preach those things that are hard to preach sometimes additionally when the leader sees themselves as a servant of christ they will serve as christ served which is out of love and compassion for other people christ who was the greatest among us was the servant of all godly leaders possess a servant attitude and if you want to lead in a godly way then find a towel and basin as Christ did because godly leaders serve. That's what they do. They serve. Secondly, godly leaders are people of transparency and integrity. Transparency and integrity. Paul makes it clear that they know how he lived. That's what he says. You know how I lived among you. I was with you this whole time. He was not hiding anything from them. Paul spent time with them. They saw how he acted. They saw how he behaved. They saw how he lived his life among the people in a way that was open, not hidden. Paul was not out there putting on some show so everybody could see the good side of Paul. It wasn't a front for people. And then when uh, 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 no one was watching, he was somebody completely different. He had nothing to hide. That is integrity. This is integrity. Integrity means that you are the same person in private that you are in public. A person of integrity is able to be this way because they know they are serving. They are serving the Lord and they know who they're serving, which is God Almighty. And guess what? You can't hide anything from God because he sees everything. He knows the thoughts. He even knows the intents of your heart. He knows the motives behind what you do. He knows why you did what you did. That's kind of crazy to stop and think about. He knows why you did it. He knows the why to the what. During his time as a rancher, Theodore Roosevelt and one of, the, one of his cow punchers lassoed a maverick steer, lit a fire and prepared the branding irons. The part of the range they were on was claimed by Gregor Lang, one of Roosevelt's neighbors. According to the cattleman's rule, the steer therefore belonged to Lang. As his cowboy applied the brand, Roosevelt said, Wait, it should be Lang's brand. That's all right, boss, said the cowboy. But you're putting on my brand, Roosevelt said. That's right, said the man. Drop that iron, Roosevelt demanded, and get back to the ranch and get out. I don't need you anymore. A man who will steal from me, or a man who will steal for me, is a man who will steal from me. You see, church godly leaders are people of transparency. They're not hiding things. Who you see them be in public is who they are in private. They are people of integrity. They live out their life before people and people see them living their life and they see who they are and what you see on the outside is who they are on the inside when no one else is watching that's who they are godly leaders are people of transparency and integrity thirdly godly leaders blatantly display godly character godly leaders blatantly display godly character i want to go through a list this morning of some characteristics that i believe we find here in this passage of scripture that display godly character in the life of paul this list isn't again exhaustive this is just some characteristics we could look at galatians chapter 5 and the fruit of the spirit it's a fairly extensive list however i believe we see luke writing about three qualities that clearly stand out in paul in these verses first of all humility humility godly leaders blatantly display godly character one of those characteristics is humility now it's interesting reading this because we see paul Talking about his own humility. And that's kind of odd, right? It's like, let me tell you how humble I am. And that would seem kind of out of place. However, let's not forget that Jesus himself described his own humility in Matthew chapter 11. Additionally, Moses described, was described himself as the most humble man on the face of the earth. Now, I do not recommend that we go around telling people how humble we are. That's that's not what I'm saying, but it seems like we can know when we are humble without being prideful. I think you can know that you're humble without without it being prideful. However, if a godly leader displays humility, we should ask. um, What that is, is that is is that humility and if they're displaying humility, then we need to say, what is humility? Do you ever wonder what is humility? I mean, we, we hear people talk about humility a lot, but what is it? How do we describe that? Is humility, you know, always putting yourself down, always talking bad about yourself, like, oh, I'm a low life, or, oh, I can't do that, or is that humility? Well, that's what we call false humility. I believe humility is being keenly aware of our total dependency on Jesus Christ being keenly aware of our total dependency on Jesus Christ it is the idea that apart from Christ I can do nothing and that anything that we can do anything that I may happen to be able to accomplish is only because of Jesus Christ Paul says this is uh, Paul Paul says this when he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 listen to what he says what do you have that you did not receive and if you did receive it why do you boast about it as if you had not received it you see the humble person is the person that is consciously and continually aware that all they are stems only from God's grace. If you're here when we're preaching through 1 Corinthians, when we preach through that passage of Scripture, you remember that I talked about everything that you receive is ultimately a gift of God. It doesn't matter what it is. It's only from God. The humble person is not confident in themselves they're confident in the lord and this is why they are quick to give god the glory in every situation in every circumstance now here's the problem with that we are told that if we want to accomplish anything then we need to have self-confidence right you need to have self-confidence and you need to have self-esteem and if we want to truly be a great leader then we must be filled with self-confidence you got to believe that you can get it done in fact our world is so focused on self-confidence on on coddling people and making them proud of themselves and having self-confidence that we invented safe zones and safe places where college students can go and feel good about themselves they can feel like it's not a problem did you know that the self-help industry is a 10 billion that's right billion with a B B, ten billion dollar a year market but self-confidence seems to be in contrast to humility in fact listen to what the prophet jeremiah said jeremiah 17 verses 5 through 9 thus says the lord cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is a man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? But Pastor Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We see that verse a lot. I saw it when I was running the marathon in Indianapolis. I saw all kinds of people with that verse, you know, on their shirts or, or what, whatnot. And not, not that there's anything wrong with that verse, but we like to misuse that verse a lot of times. Is actually better translated, probably, I believe, I can endure all things through Christ who gives me strength. And that's the key, right? Through Christ. It's not through self. There's a vast difference between confidence in self and confidence in Christ. The godly leader is one who is totally dependent on Christ and knows they can accomplish nothing apart from Christ, and therefore they can share their weakness. This is the essence of humility. But let's look at another characteristic of humility that I believe Luke brings out in the apostle Paul in this passage scripture. Love, empathy and compassion. Love, empathy and compassion. Look with me at verse 19. Paul says that he has served with humility and then what's he say? And with tears. He will speak again later of tears in verse 31 when he speaks of admonishing the elders, and there's much weeping when Paul says his final goodbye in verse 37. Do you think Paul cared about these men? Of course he did. They cared for him. This is why we read about these tears. Paul loved these men, he had compassion towards them. When they hurt, Paul hurt. He expressed empathy. He he went through what they went through. Paul loved people. Listen to what he said to the Corinthians. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Church. Church. Leading is not always easy. Knowing you have a responsibility is not always easy. It's not easy. To be a pastor. Or to be a leader in the church. And watch your people go through difficulties. It's not easy to go and. Make all the hospital visits and hear about people's surgeries it's not for a weak stomach I'll tell you that it's not easy to see people who are hurting it's not easy to watch people suffer and it's certainly never easy to watch people die especially when they're people you know It's not easy to see people you lead struggle and sin either. There are nights that I have laid awake wondering how I was going to deal with something that I had to deal with. There have been times I personally have been brought to tears trying to figure out what am I going to do about this. Godly leaders show love, empathy, empathy. And compassion when dealing with people. That does not mean that they don't deal with problems. It means that they deal with problems because they love their people. They love their brothers and sisters in Christ. They show love, empathy, and compassion. Let's look at a third, third characteristic that Luke brings out that we see in the Apostle Paul. And I believe it's this. Godly leaders are firm amidst trials. Godly leaders remain firm even in the middle of trials. Paul said that he served with humility, he served with tears, and these elders had seen Paul go through the trials that came to him from the plots of the Jews to kill him. Not only were there plots to kill Paul, but there were constant plots aimed at his demise. Remember that riot we just looked at a few weeks ago? The elders at Ephesus saw how Paul handled himself during that situation. Paul, when writing to the Corinthians again, said there were times when he despaired of even even of living. He despaired even of living, yet his hope was in God. We do not see Paul becoming bitter. We don't see Paul accusing God Of being unfair or dealing with him in a bad uh, way or, oh God, you really dealt me a bad hand here. We don't see that. We don't see Paul retaliating against the Jews. Instead, we see Paul casting all of his cares on Christ. We see Paul saying he has learned in all things and everything to be content. He does not even shrink back. It says he continues to declare the word of God. You see, godly leaders, they stand firm even in the midst of trials, even when all these things are coming against them. They stand firm. They don't back down. They don't shrink away. They don't give up they don't say well boy this is going to be a lot harder than i thought it was going to be they keep going which leads into our final key of godly leadership so we said godly leadership possesses a servant attitude they're people of transparency and integrity they blatantly have godly character which includes humility love empathy and compassion and they are firm in the midst of trials. Lastly, godly leaders faithfully teach God's word. Godly leaders faithfully teach God's word. And I, don't, I know I don't have a ton of time here, but I want to share with you five aspects of faithful teaching that we see in verses 20 and 21. And I'm going to spend like 20 minutes on each. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't want anybody falling out of a window. First of all, the first characteristic of teaching God's word is this dealing with difficult truth. Dealing with difficult truth. Paul says he did not shrink back from declaring anything that was profitable. That's what he says there. So I found that to be an interesting statement. So I looked it up in the Greek, which is, uh, what, what is this saying? You know, what what is Paul saying here? And what Paul's saying is he held nothing back, nor was he uncertain of the message that he was declaring. So I held nothing back and I wasn't uncertain of the message I declared to you. The idea is that Paul did not water anything down, right? He... You didn't go and and like, if if you wanted to hear Paul speak, it wasn't some watered down, candy coated, you know, unicorn and rainbows message. He just preached the word. He didn't water it down. The implication is this. There are times when, when what is profitable is a difficult truth. It is hard to hear. It's hard to teach and hard to receive If Paul was seeking to please men, he would never have addressed difficult truths. But if Paul wanted to be the next great motivational speaker, he would skip over those things that are difficult and find other things to teach about. However, Paul sought to please God and therefore he knew that these difficult truths only served to be profitable for spiritual growth and health. And so Paul taught what God wanted him to teach. You see, this goes against what we see Today, where many people are not concerned with teaching what God wants them to teach. They're not concerned with teaching what God's word says. Instead, they are concerned with teaching what makes people feel good. I heard some, this is the only comment I'm going to make about politics. I heard someone say during the election that they were voting for Donald Trump because he tells it like it is. And my response was this. That's interesting. We don't want to go to a church and hear a pastor tell it like it is. We try to avoid that. You say, well, what did Paul teach that was so difficult? Well, have you read his letters? Let's just look at the book of Ephesians, which is written to this church That Paul's talking to right now. Speaking about the doctrines of God, sovereign election, and predestination. I've heard of some pastors who will not even teach those verses in Ephesians because they don't want to deal with those difficult truths. In Ephesians he talks about after he talks about those things he talks about human depravity he makes it clear that everyone is dead in their trespasses and sin. Then he says because we're all dead in our trespasses and sins salvation comes totally by God's grace and that we can't work out work our way to heaven. Sounds like difficult truths. As part of that he makes it clear that faith is a gift from God so that so that faith that is needed in order to come to Christ only comes if God gives it to you as a gift. And then he shows that there is now no more wall between the Jews and the Gentiles. Because Christ has broken the wall down. This is all in Ephesians. Those are all super difficult truths. That's why many pastors won't even preach through the book of Ephesians. They don't want to deal with it. That's not even looking at the book of Romans. Those are some hard truths that exalt Jesus Christ. You know what they do? They exalt Jesus and they rob man of any pride. Because salvation is not a man, but it's all of God. Pastors neglect these truths or they stumble over them. But they are profitable so they help us understand who God is and who we aren't. They're part of the plan. And so Paul teaches them. And so should we. Godly leaders will faithfully teach God's word, including difficult truths. Secondly, godly leaders will have practical application. they have practical application in their teaching. You know, when, when I'm preparing a sermon, I try to ask myself, how does this apply To those people that hear it. What is it I want them to understand? What is it that I want them to do as a result of this message? When Paul taught, he, he taught what was profitable or advantageous for the spiritual growth of those that were listening. Later, he's going to give a warning to Timothy about those teachers that teach Something different that leads to speculation and fruitless discussions rather than a sincere faith. He said, these people teach the law without even understanding what they are saying. Part of faithfully teaching God's word is to ask that question. How how does this apply to those people that are going to hear it? And, And first and foremost, as a leader, how does this apply to me? So what is the question you should ask? If you read something in in the Bible, ask that question. Read it and then say, so what? So what? I read this, so what? What is it saying? What does it mean? How does this apply to me? How does it apply to other people? It changes the way you kind of look at things. So what? What difference does what I just read make? And the person who faithfully teaches God's word will first apply that to their own life And then to the lives of those that they teach to. The reason why so many teachers have terrible application in their sermon or in their teaching time is because they have terrible interpretation of the scripture in the first place. The Bible must always be interpreted in its context. Some, some of you might say, well, Pastor, why, why do you do so many book studies? I mean, we've, we've studied the book of Ephesians. We've studied the book of James. We've studied 1 uh, Corinthians. We're studying Acts now. We're going to go into Jonah when we're done with Acts. And then after Jonah, we're going into Hebrews. You say, well, why do you why do book studies? Because it keeps everything in context. We're not isolating some verse and pulling it out and being like, oh, well, look at this and just kind of interpreting it however we want to interpret it. Terrible application is because we have terrible interpretation and we try to pull things out of context and apply it to something because we haven't properly interpreted God's word. Practical application, third aspect, in season. And out of season. In season and out of season, you say, well, where do you get that from? Well, as we look at this, it says that Paul taught these men publicly and in their houses. And we know from a few weeks ago he taught men in the school of Tyrannus. He taught in house church meetings. He taught in the Jewish synagogues. He he would go and spend time with people socially. Spend time with them. Having meals with them. And would teach them. It would be like like he's hanging out at the blend. You know. And doing some teaching. Or he's like hey. You guys want to come over. And he uses those moments. To teach biblical truth. There were times that he, he taught a group of people. And there were times where he taught individual people. Perhaps someone had to work through a problem. Or, or a doctrine. Uh, and, and he would. Work through it with them. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 2. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Paul was always ready to teach. Always ready. And during these times when Paul would take an opportunity to teach in an informal setting. It reveals that he loved to speak of the things of God with anyone that was willing to listen to him. He was constantly looking into the scripture, learning it was vital and central to his life. Faithful teachers will teach in season and out of season. They will just look for opportunities to teach. They're always looking, how can I teach in this circumstance? Or what can I say here? How can I help this person? Looking for that teaching moment. Fourthly. Godly leaders. Teaching focuses on eternity. Focuses on eternity. Paul testified to both the Jews and the Greeks. About what? About what? What does it say he testified to them about? It says. Of repentance towards God. And what else? Faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. To testify is to bear witness. It's a picture of someone that's under oath in the court of law. Where, where they solemnly swear to tell the truth. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help them God. When Paul taught, he knew what was at stake. Sometimes sometimes we we, we take teaching so flippantly. Paul knew eternity was at stake. He understood a soul had an eternal destiny. He didn't take preaching lightly. He wasn't so flippant about it. You know, I hear people say, well, why do you study so much? Why, Why do you spend so many hours studying for a sermon? Wouldn't your time be better served doing something else? Because this is the most important truth that we have. That's why I spend so much time studying. Because this is vital. It changes lives. Eternity is at stake. I was talking to not mean to point you out, Brother Bill, but I was talking to my brother um, Bill Sexton over here. Y'all may know that he has a seminary degree from Dallas Theological Seminary. And I was talking about preaching and he talked about how when the first times he got ready uh, to preach, he got just so sick. Because, because of this. Because he's going to deliver this. What if he messes up? What if he says something that's not true? What if he makes a mistake? But today we just take it so flippantly. It's like, oh, whatever. You know, I bet you a video will do better than... Than teaching God's word. I bet you if, if I could find something cool. Some cool illustration. That will surely do better than this. Eternity is at stake. Listen I'm not I'm not saying. That you can't be funny in the pulpit. I try to tell jokes sometimes. They usually fall pretty flat. But uh, <laughs> I try to be funny. And a lot of times you guys are like. Whoa I don't even understand that. I guess it's my sense of humor. But uh, I know. Uh, humor can be. Can be used, but it can also be abused. Sidetrack us from what is at stake. Many times preachers will step into a pulpit and not be serious about what they're saying, and it says very little to the seriousness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we teach, we must know what's at stake. We must focus on eternity. And finally, fifthly, teachers they teach repentance and faith as necessary to being right with God. They teach repentance and faith as necessary to being right with God. Paul teaches both, the need for repentance and faith. Repentance and faith go hand in hand as we look at salvation. Repentance means a turning away from our sin and towards God. It is a change of, of your life. It's It it's abandons the former self And regrets the former behavior and turns towards God. It is not possible to turn to a holy God while at the same time holding on to your sin. Repentance understands that we have sinned against a holy God. And sin cannot enter his presence. And we no longer want to live that way. It is a crying out, God have mercy on me a sinner. Faith looks to Christ as a righteousness that is needed to stand before a holy God. Faith sees Christ as a pardon for all of our sin through his shed blood. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ means that I'm no longer trusting in my own goodness because we have no goodness or our own righteousness because we have no righteousness. But but we are trusting in Jesus Christ alone as our mediator and our advocate. Faith and repentance are both gifts that come from God. Neither of them, neither faith nor repentance, come to you based on your own merit. But they are completely and utterly gifts from God. Scripture clearly teaches this in Acts 11 and Ephesians 2. Furthermore, Just like we start the Christian life through repentance and faith, we are called to live it out every day, to live our Christian life out every single day by repentance and faith. As we go through our daily lives reading Scripture, and as the Holy Spirit reveals sin in us, we repent and we trust in the forgiveness that comes only from Jesus Christ. That is how we walk in Christ. Sin revealed, repentance and belief that he paid the price. Sin revealed, repentance and belief that we that we that that he paid the price. Sin revealed, repentance and belief. Sin revealed, repentance and belief. That's how we go through our life. That's that's the life cycle of a Christian. That's the life cycle Of me as a pastor. And I know you all think I don't sin. Right? (laughs) Guess not. I sin. I mess up. I make some stupid mistakes. I do stupid things. I repent. And I trust in the Lord that he is forgiving. Now that's not saying that we are keep getting saved over and over again. Rather we recognize the sin. We repent of the sin. And we believe... That that sin is dealt with. So I sin. I repent. And I believe it's been dealt with. This is why Christ is the object of our faith. Because he has paid the price. For our sin. Now. You might say well pastor that's nice. Thanks for preaching that long sermon. And that whole sermon doesn't apply to me. Because well I'm just not a leader in the church and my response just like at the beginning is it doesn't matter whether you're a leader or not you should grow in all these areas whether you're a leader or not you should be seeking as a follower of Christ to develop a servant's heart so I ask you this morning are you living for self? Are you seeking to serve? Are you living for self? Getting what you can? Or are you seeking to serve this morning? Because whether you're a leader or not, you should be seeking to serve. We should be a church that is seeking to serve. First Baptist Church should be known as a church that seeks to serve. Are you a person of integrity and transparency Or do you live a double life, hiding who you really are and doing things you should not be doing when no one is looking? Do you get yourself looking really nice to come to church? Oh, no, I'm going to see the pastor. I'm always amazed how quickly people's language gets cleaned up and everything when I'm in their presence as if I'm the Lord or something. Just, that's why I've, I've said that to people you know i'm not the lord right you know he's here when i'm not here there's no need to clean your language up and no need to pretend like you're you know we we i sin you sin that's i know you know somebody says a bad word and they apologize to me are you the same person When you're here, are you the same person when you're around Christians as when you're not around Christians? When no one is looking? Are you growing in humility, showing love and empathy and compassion for others? Are you standing firm in the midst of trials? Are you growing in your understanding and application of God's word in your life? And are you sharing that with others? You don't need to be a teacher to do that. You can grow in your understanding of God's word and be talking to someone at work. Hey, you know what? I read this today. You can be talking with family. I read this today. You don't even necessarily have to say, oh, I read this and in Luke chapter 2 verse, you know, 14. You don't even have to do that. Oh, I read this. Maybe they don't even know where it comes from. So, so you're not even telling them you're just kind of talking about what you read are you growing are you applying god's word to your life are you just you know some people some people they have like that yearly plan i gave you um at the beginning of the year i said you guys can take this and, and use it some people take that and they, they read through that and they check the little boxes and and that's all they do good job got to apply to your life church you got to apply it we can read it and just pretend like we didn't even read it church we need godly leaders first baptist church needs godly leaders we need people in our church are godly leaders above all else? And maybe this morning there's some areas that you need to work on from this message, and perhaps this morning you need to step up. Perhaps this morning you need to actually take a look at taking on a leadership role. Perhaps you've come and sat long enough and you need to do something. The church needs godly leaders. And maybe it's not an official leadership role. I still say the church needs godly leaders. It needs you to be a godly person that attends First Baptist Church. That's out in the community representing who we are. Followers of Jesus Christ. So maybe this morning, during this message, maybe God just kind of spoke to your conscience in an area. Maybe there's an area that that he's kind of dealt with. And, and, and maybe you need to pray I'm gonna I'm gonna be standing out front if you need somebody to pray with you I'd love to pray with you so maybe God dealt with you in a certain area and you just need someone to pray with or maybe you just kind of like to come up and pray We'll allow that you can pray right there in your pew you don't have to come up here and, and pray you can pray in your pew you can hang around afterwards talk to me later if that's something you want to do well my challenge is if God spoke to your conscience this morning, in in a certain way, would you let somebody know that? Just let another brother or sister in Christ say, man, God really worked me over in this area. Let them hold you accountable, work together, so that we can all be godly leaders, following after Christ. Let's close with prayer.